and you may be seated. you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this day, the day that you have made. And God, I pray that we would rejoice and be glad in it. And God, we thank you for the promise of salvation. God, we thank you for the resurrection that we celebrated last week. And God, we thank you for the gift the free gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus. But God, your saving act, your act of salvation towards humanity that began really with Abraham, really in the, in the Garden of Eden, but God, with Abraham as we've discussed, and God continued with Isaac and Jacob and continued with King David and on through Jesus, your son, who was the real salvation for all of mankind. God, we thank you that you did that. But that salvation continues through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Father God, we thank you for the gift of a helper. And God, today as we've gathered here in this place, I pray that the helper would guide us this morning. I'm not in charge, you are. I'm not in control, you are. These are not my words, they're yours. And we give this time to you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us this morning. And God, the truth of your word, I pray that it would just jump off the page at us. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. God, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pierce our hearts, you would lead our lives. And Father God, I pray that you would change each one of us. And God, we thank you for the gift of a helper to help lead us. God, as you are continuing the work of salvation in us. We give you these next few moments, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name is Todd, and I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so glad that you're here today. 
Uh, how many of you were here last week for Easter Sunday? Awesome. How many of you were at the 10 o'clock service? Uh, that was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, let's just face it, that was crazy. Uh, last week, uh, we had our highest attendance. You can see in the worship folder there were 977, but there were uh, uh, probably almost 30 volunteers that, that didn't get counted in that count. And uh, wow, um, God gave us an incredible day uh, that we were probably right at 1,000 people in attendance between all of those services and including our kids, which is awesome. It's great. But that's not the most important number. The most important number was that 20 people gave their life to Christ last week. Isn't that awesome? It's why we do what we do. It's for changed lives. And by the way, three of those were back in Island Kids. So I want to remind you, those of you who gave of your time and of your talent and of your resources, your financial resources, I want you to think about that. That's why we give, isn't it? That's why we go above and beyond just our regular tithe. That's why we go above and beyond some of you to get there early, some of you to change diapers. It's because we want a place back there on that side of that wall and that side of that wall for our children and for our students. And man, I am so excited that three kids last week gave their life to Christ. That is awesome. That is great, great news. And I believe all three were in Ignite, too, our preteen ministry that's gotten started over the last year. And so it's exciting news. It's an exciting time. And I'm just thankful to God for the momentum um, that he has given us. And uh, I just want to ask you to continue to pray for our community uh, and for God's Holy Spirit to be poured out in this place as we're going to be taking a look at the first pouring of the Holy Spirit uh, on those first Christians there as we really today end our series. We're bringing this whole thing to a conclusion, this series that, um, you know, I don't know if there's ever been a, a message series that's been six or seven weeks long where the message series, the name changed, but our, our name changed in the middle of this, not our church name, not my name, but this series changed because we talked about the nation of Israel in those first few weeks and how uh, God's promise was that he would come and save, and so uh, originally it was uh, he will come to save, and then the last two weeks we changed it because he has come to save. Praise God, he sent his son Jesus to save each and every one of us from our sins. I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to think about a time in your life uh, when you were younger, uh, and, and it doesn't really matter what age you were at when this happened, but I think we all have that moment in time when we were uh, young, and for the first time, um, we, we were left alone. Do you, can, you, can you bring that up in your mind for a moment? Like the first time you were left alone, if you can bring that up, or, or maybe a significant time um, when you were left alone. I, in our house, I remember the first couple times that my sister and I, I have a younger sister, she's three years younger than me, and uh, the first time that we were left alone, um, sh she was supposed to, you know, do everything that I told her to do during that period of time, you know, that half an hour that mom and dad went down to, the, you know, and get, got milk or whatever from the grocery store. And, and she, of course, being the great little sister that she was, she didn't. And um, she bugged me, and we got into this big fight, and we got in trouble because when my parents came back, we were fighting. And so um, time alone, the first time, that was my time alone the first time. And I'm sure that your time by yourself, the first time that maybe you were left alone, and, hey, let's face it, some of you may have grown up in an environment where you were, it was young. I mean, it was at a young age 
that you found yourself alone for the first time, like mom and or dad or uh, dad and or mom, uh, you know, left. And um, my goodness, nowadays there's all kind of rules and laws. But when I was growing up, there wasn't. I mean, you know, back in the 70s, parents would leave and like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm leaving for a few hours and I just put a roast in the oven. You know, and the lawnmower and the weed eater out there, and I'm doing some stuff out, you know, on the workbench, and there's, you know, grease and oil and gasoline back there, and uh, the iron's on. I'm just going to leave it heated for a while while I'm gone, so when I get back, you know, that's like what the 70s were like, wasn't it? Um, Those of you who were around then, not probably too many of us anymore, but anyway, that's what it was like in the 70s, and now it's changed, right? I mean, there are laws and rules, and you have to be really careful as, as a parent, don't you? And uh, so this alone thing is something that all of us had that experience. At some point in our lives, we went, wow, I'm by myself. I I remember in college, um, the the day that my parents dropped me off, Liberty University, Lynchburg, Virginia, um, 19, uh, wow, 91. I had a moment there, had a senior moment there. I couldn't remember the date. But fall of uh, 1991, they left. And I remember this feeling. I, I don't know if some of you can relate to this, but I remember this feeling. I watched him drive off, and I was like, yes, this is awesome. And then I had to go to the grocery store later that day, and I had to walk to the grocery store because I didn't have a car, and I knew no one. And then I realized I don't have enough money for my groceries, and I was like, oh, man, why don't they come back? It was like within an hour I went from yes to Oh, I need them in my life. Like they took care of me and they handled everything. And now I can't even pay for my groceries and coffee and milk and cereal and ramen noodles, which all college students eat. But anyway, so like there's this weird thing that happens. But I think all of us have gone through a period of time when we go, now what do I do? Now what do I do? And it's interesting because that kind of balance um, with freedom and that balance of, you know, the person or people who have taken care of you up to this point, once they're gone, there's kind of this balance like, hey, I can do what I want to do. Like, no one's watching me. I, I can do what I want. And, and that tension between that and, man, they took care of me. They watched over me. They led me. And that tension exists. And, and I can't stop this message series with Jesus' resurrection last week because something very significant happened after his resurrection to the point where his followers were were left alone. And I'm sure there was this same kind of tension that you and I faced at some point in our lives where this tension between, man, he's gone, and now we can kind of like move on with our lives But what now? What do we do now? It's the age-old question that we all ask when we have that moment where we're left alone. What now? What now? And I'm sure many of his disciples, many of his followers were asking that question, what now, when he left. Now, I want to just take a moment and review where we've come from as we wrap up this series. For those of you who haven't been with us these past few weeks, um, for those of you who have, this will just be a way of review. We began several weeks ago by talking about Abraham and the fact that God gave Abraham a promise. And we talked about God being the God of a promise. He gave Abraham a promise that he would bless his name, that he would make him into a great nation, that he would, people would be blessed by him and that he would be blessed. 
and he talked about the promised land. He talked about this land that God had for the nation of Israel. And he tells Abraham to follow him out into the unknown, and Abraham does that. He follows in obedience. And we see this kind of setup that God is this God of promise. He makes what I like to call a promise. Uh, traditionally, it's been called a covenant between God and humanity. In this case, it began with Abraham. There was a covenant with Moses. There was a covenant with King David. Several covenants or promises along the way that we see in the Old Testament. But this one with, with Abraham was the one that really kind of established this uh, relationship that was up and down between God and Israel, the whole nation of Israel. And so we followed that for a few weeks. And again, this other tension that we had was this tension of where is God's promise being fulfilled? Because Abraham, when God made this promise, he was 100 years old. His wife was 90 years old. How in the world? They didn't have any kids. How in the world could God make a great nation with this man that was 100 and his wife was 90? But God gave him a son at that age. Can you imagine having a son at 100 years old? I can't. His name was Isaac, and Isaac uh, had a son, and his name was, was Jacob. It actually had several sons, but his, his son's name was Jacob. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob followed God in the promise that God had made. They followed in line. They were walking with God. They were following in obedience to God. And they finally, we finally see this tension kind of resolved or fulfilled because God allows them to escape from Egypt where they were enslaved. And they escaped from Egypt. And we come to the conclusion that God is a God of his word, that he is a God of promise, but he fulfills his promise. And so right before Easter on Palm Sunday, we talked about the fact that God established this time annually where the Jewish people would come together and they would celebrate the fact that God's a promise in a season that's called the Passover season that concluded with this uh, meal that we, some of us, 120 of us, had together in here called the Seder Supper. We had it on the Wednesday before Easter, and it was amazing to see the tradition and how so much of what God did all the way back in the Old Testament connects with us today. It's amazing how much connects. You're going to see a couple other connections today as we bring this to conclusion. And so then on Easter, we say, see the fact that everything that God was doing all in the Old Testament, even the stuff we don't understand, was for a purpose. Because it was setting the stage for God not to just save Israel, not just to save followers of him then, but to save all of humanity from our sins. And he did it through Jesus. And he sent Jesus, his son, to die on a cross, to be resurrected three days later to defeat death. And last week we celebrated that. And if you and I put our faith and our trust in him, that's what 20 of you did, 20 people did last week, you will have the hope of eternal life. That's awesome. That's the great news. But there's a sense that something is happening after that. What is going on? What is going to happen? He has come to save. God had this act of salvation. And so Jesus was the answer for us for eternity. But what now? What now that we don't have Jesus here? What now for those disciples who didn't have Jesus? What now when he was gone? What was God going to do when Jesus was gone. And the Holy Spirit comes down. We're going to take a look at that today and talk about the fact that it was God's Holy Spirit that is the answer for what now? It's the Spirit of God living inside you and I, those of you who are Christ followers, that answers a question, what now? 
Jesus knew this. He knew that he was going to be gone. He knew that there was a day that was coming that he was going to be gone. And so he made yet another promise to his disciples that he would allow someone, that he would bring someone, that someone would be ushered in to be, come along and assist them and guide them and help them. Now, today's message here is that we're going to talk about Pentecost. We're going to talk about that first time that God's Holy Spirit was poured out among the believers there in the first century uh, and, and how it relates to God saving us and the continuing act of salvation that he does uh, in us. But I want you to know, for those of you who are like theologians and scholars, this is not a comprehensive message on the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole nother message series. And I promise at some point in time in 2015, we're going to get to that. And I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. This is an overview. This is a 40,000-foot view of what happened after Jesus came back to this earth. But take a look at even before then of this promise that was made. Today we're going to be John 14, and then we're going to skip over to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can go right now to John 14. You can skip over to Acts chapter 2 in a moment. And if you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen today. Take a look at John 14, 15 through 17. He is talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers about what it means to love and to keep his commandments. And he says this in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He connects loving God to obedience. Do you get that? We get it up here, don't we? But it's hard to get in our practice. I, I'm right there with you. It's, it's difficult to get in our practice. But he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But here's the promise that he makes. Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, I will ask the God the Father, and he will give you another, what's that next word? Helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be, what's that next word? In you. You see, Jesus answers the question that we all have at some point in our lives of what now? He answers it in this promise even before the act happens, the act we're going to take a look at in a moment. He answers a question beforehand when he says, I will provide a helper. I will provide a helper. Take a look at point number one. I want you to capture this. Jesus promised his followers that he would not abandon them. He promised his followers that he would not abandon them. Look, Jesus had told them, I'm going to a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to, to uh, be not with you. And I'm sure the anxiety of some of these men and some women, who many of whom decided to leave everything that they knew was right to follow Jesus, were kind of like, hey, Jesus, you're talking about leaving us so much? Um, I left my secure job and my family and my friends and my reputation and my money and my home to follow you. And all you're talking about is leaving. And Jesus understands that you and I need to have spiritually someone to guide us, someone to help us. And so he makes this promise of a helper. And in the original language, as Jesus is speaking that, in, as in this case John is recording it, the word helper literally means 
Someone who acts on behalf of another person, a representative. Someone who acts on behalf of another person. Jesus told the disciples, and they would have understood the word that he used there, that he was sending them a representative. We have representatives, don't we, here, right here in, in the United States of America. With our national and, and local government systems, uh, we have representatives. We, we have senators. We have U.S. congressmen, uh, House of Representatives, representatives for our district here on Hilton Head Island. We have a U.S. representative in the U.S. Congress that is our representative. We have someone in the Senate who's our representative. We have state, house, and senators who are our representatives. They speak on our behalf. That's what God was doing by sending his Holy Spirit to be with us once Jesus was gone. He was meant, and his purpose, and his uh, uh, purpose in terms of our lives was to help us, to represent us. And Jesus knew that we would need a representative. He knew that we would need a counselor. And the reason I say that this isn't an exhaustive message on the work of the Holy Spirit is because you have God the Father, you have God the Son, Jesus, and you have God the Holy Spirit, and that makes up the Trinity. That's three parts of God in one. That's what we believe as a church God is, three parts in one. And God the Father has certain things that he does. God the Son has certain things, uh, salvation-type things that he did for us on the cross. But the work of the Holy Spirit is multifaceted. There are so many things that the Holy Spirit does. If you are in here today and you're a Christ follower and you're sitting in church one day and you get that, like, you know, thump in the heart, like, oh, man, you know. Or maybe you're out somewhere and you hear someone say something and you start, your heart starts beating a little faster because God is convicting you of something. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He convicts us. He gives us peace. He gives us comfort, but he helps us. And, Je and Jesus summarized it by saying that he was a helper. You, you see, it's interesting. At some point in all of our lives, uh, we need someone to help us. And we realize that the at the time when we're alone, right? What now? What do I do now? And so in our lives, at some point in our lives, we need a helper. But Jesus understood this. Don't miss this. That all of us, at all the times in our lives, we all need a spiritual helper. Are you with me? I know I do. I know I do. I need someone to help. And so Jesus promises the fact that once he was gone, he was going to provide a helper. And the principle is this for you and I today. The principle is this. Jesus will not leave you spiritually to fend for yourself. Jesus will not leave you to spiritually fend for yourself. Listen, I want you to hear this today. If you're in here today and you are tired and weary and spiritually it has been a tough time, physically it's been a tough time, emotionally it's been a tough time, Jesus promised to send one who will help you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus died on Friday, and he rose again on Sunday. That's what we celebrated last week, the resurrection, that overcoming death. But for, uh, and from that point in time, from his resurrection, that Sunday on Easter Sunday, that Easter, that Passover Sunday, Jesus spent 40 days on this earth. 
and he appeared in his heavenly form to over 500 people. You can read it at the end of the Gospels, and you can see it even in Acts. Uh, he talks about it a little bit. Uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, talks about it a little bit, that Jesus appeared to 500 people proving that he had overcome death. Ten day, or 40 days after his resurrection, then, he ascended back into heaven to be with God forever. And ten days after that, God does what we're about ready to look at. And it just happened to coincide with another Jewish festival. Isn't that amazing how God works? It was called the Feast of Weeks. It's called the Feast of Weeks. And Jesus ascended into heaven, and 10 days later, something miraculous happened during this period of time in Jerusalem. Take a look at what happened to those first Christians there, these people who most of, were Jew, most of whom were Jewish and came to faith in Christ. Take a look at Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, I'll come back to that in a moment, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began uh, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. Now, if you're here today and you believe the Bible to be true, you have to believe that this account is true. This is the Spirit of God being poured out onto those first Christians, which, by the way, at this point in time, numbered 120. There were 120 people in this one place, and God's Spirit began to be poured out on them. And, and take a look at point number two where this amazing thing happened. Shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, God's Holy Spirit was dramatically poured into the lives of the first Christians. This is called Pentecost. It was exactly 50 days. Pent meaning 50. It was exactly 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. That's why it's called Pentecost. And it's an amazing parallel, I believe, that God set up between the festival that was going on there in Jerusalem with the nation of Israel and what God is doing, was doing then in the first century and what he's doing now because they were celebrating basically two things. Here's what they were celebrating. Don't miss this. This is great because this shows how God is in control. They were celebrating the first harvest, number one. During Pentecost, we see more people come to Christ than at any other time to that point in his word. It was a harvest of Christians. You'll see that in a moment. But the second thing that they were celebrating was the fact that God sent Moses up to Mount Sinai and he brought back the Ten Commandments. Because when the nation of Israel exited Egypt, when they walked across that dry land of the Red Sea and they were in the wilderness, they needed a guide. They needed help on how to live. And God gave them that in the form of the law, just like he poured out the Holy Spirit to help us in this day and age. I love the parallel, don't you? Of what God was doing all the way back then, he is still doing now. And we see this dramatic time in the life of those first Christians that is almost like we, we can't hardly believe it because the power of God was so evident. And we haven't seen the power of God poured out like that since. It was a special time in the life of those first Christians. It was a special time in the whole story of God coming to save when God's Holy Spirit was poured out there in Pentecost. I, I, I love, um, I'm, I'm not like a huge car guy, but I, I like cars just like any other guy likes cars. Some of you like cars. I'm, I'm not much of a car guy. You can tell that by my um, 
2005 Ford F-150 that's about ready to turn 100,000 miles and is beat up. I'm not much of a car guy, but I love fast cars, and Sean has showed an interest in, in fast cars, so we were researching this the other day. The fastest um, car in the world right now that's a road car is um, a Hennessy Venom GT. Would you like to have one of those on 278 here during Heritage Week? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm getting past that guy. Woo! It clocked out at the end of 20, or early in 2014 uh, at almost 300 miles an hour, 270.49. 270 miles an hour. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? That'd be awesome. I love it. And the energy that's contained in that car and all even the cars that we drive is an interesting thing because the energy in there, um, it, it, it's power and it's energy, and, and it's used in, in at least two different ways. It can be unharnessed or it can be harnessed. And both are, are used for good. Uh, explosions can happen. That's an unharnessed act of energy or power. A, a harnessed act of power is that Venom GT that moves at almost 300 miles an hour. You see, that's the, the multifaceted work of the Holy Spirit. We see here the unleashed power of God on those first Christians in a one-time act that was absolutely remarkable and is meaningful for us today. But I want you to hear this, Christ follower, and here's where this real, gets really real for you and me. The harnessed power of the Holy Spirit for all of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior is inside Spirit of God lives inside of you. He's there with you. And the problem for me and for many of you and for most Christ followers in this day and age is that we don't tap into the Spirit of God, the power of God that resides in us. The point is, is that God's Holy Spirit is spectacular and dynamic. And that's, that's our principle today. God's Holy Spirit in the life of the Christ follower is dynamic and powerful. And we see that played out there in Pentecost. We see that played out there in the first century when God poured his spirit out on these first Christ followers. No one drummed this up. No, no one like created some type of illusion. This was God pouring out into those first Christians, but you and I have that same power residing right in us, and we so often ignore that. We're going to get to that in point number three. It's interesting, though, kind of to transition this. It's very interesting because when all the people there in Jerusalem saw this, I mean, you know, these, these winds and the flaming tongues and that sort of thing, like God's spirit being unleashed, it's kind of, it, it kind of like is uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, let's face that. Like, like, what's going on here? And a lot of the people in Acts chapter 2 looked, and take a look at what they said in, in 12 and 13, and all were amazed and were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean that this is happening? But others were mocking and said they are filled with new wine. They're like, yeah, these guys had too much to drink, and this is what's happening here. And I love what happens next. Because Peter, one of those first followers of Jesus, stands up and he said, listen, those of you who can hear my voice, they're not drunk. They've not had too much to drink. This is the power of God 
at work in their lives. And it was prophesied in Joel all the way back in the Old Testament. And David talked about the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to preach one of the most impactful and effective messages that any pastor has ever preached any time that dovetails with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's point number three. Take a look at this. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the, what is that next word? Receptive Christ follower. Leads towards righteousness and leads away from sin. That's the bottom line of what the helper was sent for. I mean, yes, there are other aspects, and yes, it's exhaustive, and yes, we're going to spend a whole series on that at some point in time this year. But the fact is, is that the Spirit of God that was poured out in the first century, you and I have that living inside of us, and the work really of the, of the Holy Spirit is really to, to lead us towards what is right and away from what is wrong. And so Peter's preaching this amazing Message And he says this in Acts 2, 38 through 41. Take a look at this. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the, what is that next word? Forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness. That's kind of like when you leave today and you're like, hey, I remember what Todd said at the beginning. I remember said at the end, but there was a lot of other stuff in between. I don't really remember. That's what basically Luke is writing here. Like, yeah, kind of lost him there. But he said many other things with words. He bore witness and continued to exhort them. That's encouraging saying and, and really challenging, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added about that day, 3,000 people. In one day, in one day, they went from 120 to 3,000 because of the work of God's Holy Spirit. And by the way, the work of the Holy Spirit is also to draw you, each one of you who are Christ followers, it was his work that pulled you towards him to a place of belief and of faith. So the Holy Spirit leads and guides and counsels, and as Luke summarized what Peter says, his purpose is to cause us to pursue righteousness and to run from sin. And Peter simply says this, repent and be baptized. And listen, I get it. Some of you who grew up in church, um, who when you hear those words, like when you hear that word repent, it kind of makes you shudder. I understand that because we've abused that. We've used it as a weapon. Peter was simply telling the Christ follower that the work of God's Holy Spirit is to cause repentance. Let me describe what that word means. The word repent literally means to turn around. You're walking in one direction and you turn around and walk in the other direction. That's what he said. We make it so hard, we make it harsh. We, we make it this, uh, this overwhelming, judgmental thing. That's because man has taken this word and, and made a mockery of it. Because if you and I are receptive to God working in our lives, if we're receptive to the Holy Spirit working in our lives, walking in one direction and turning around is something that we simply will do because we're following God's Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? It's something that we will simply do because we're following him. Today is Sunday, Master Sunday, right? 
How about Tiger Woods coming on in the end there? Is that amazing? And the young guy, Justin, how about him? And my guy, the 40-year-old, Phil, man. Go Phil, okay? He's my guy today. I've played golf since I was three years old. I play less now than I've ever played in my life, and I'm fine with that because I have a family, and that's the way it goes. But i got to tell you, when I'm out there and I'm having a hard time, you know what people will say to me that are much better than me? They're like, man, you got so many moving parts in your golf swing. Any of you with me on that? Like, man, there's just a lot going on right there. It's a lot happening. You got to make it more simple. Just simplify the swing. You see, I think the, the, the Christian life is, is not easy. Listen, Christ follower, you need to hear that. The Christian life is not easy, but we make it so much harder than it can be because we're not walking in step with the Spirit of God in our lives. If we would do that, we will run from sin and we will pursue holiness and righteousness. Are you with me? the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the principle is this, when we live walking in step with the Holy Spirit, we will pursue what pleases God and we will reject what displeases God. It will happen if we're following the Spirit of God that lives in our lives. It doesn't have to be this explosion that happened in the first century. It's a simple, hey, I'm going in this direction. God's word says not to go in that direction. I need to turn around because I'm walking in step with God's Holy Spirit. Now, fleshing that out may be hard. I get it. I get it. It is for me. But, man, hearing God and doing what he says, making that first turn to turn around, doesn't have to be this big emotional thing. It can just be following God's rules for living. And he says, repent. And he says, be baptized. There was a practice in uh, Jewish culture of baptism. We, we think of baptism as a New Testament thing, a 2015 thing, a first century thing. Now, this was going on long ago as a cleansing ceremony. And, and Peter says, repent and be baptized. And Jesus told his followers that they needed to be baptized. And we at this church practice baptism the way it's described here. It's not a sprinkling. Man, I was sprinkled when I was a, I was a baby. That wasn't my choice. It was my parents' choice. And listen, I don't want to deny that. For some of you, that was a big deal. For me, it was because my parents chose to raise me in a Christian home, and I'm here today because they did that. And that's awesome, and I'm so glad that they did that. So I don't want to take anything away from that. But the word that Peter used, the word that Jesus used, it means to be fully immersed underwater and to come back up. Quickly, okay, quickly. We don't leave you down under there for a while, okay? If you're here today and you've never been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, man, I was a follower of Jesus Christ for years before I got baptized. It's a public demonstration that I am a follower of his. So I want you to consider two things today, and then we're going to pray. First of all, repent. We all have things that displease God, and so my question for you today is not do you, but what is it? What in your life is displeasing to God? And here's the thing. Let's try to simple, simplify the swing Admit it and leave it. I've got some of my things that I identified over the weekend in my life. I need to admit it and I need to leave it. Admit it and leave it. Let God do the work of the rest. And secondly, for those of you who are here today and you're followers of Jesus, have you gone public with your faith journey? If you haven't, you're still going to heaven. I want you to hear that. If you haven't been baptized, you're still going to heaven if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, Peter says, Paul says, believe and be baptized.
baptized. And so declare to the world the new you by being baptized. We've got a beach day coming up, May the 17th. We're going to go down to the beach that Sunday evening. I want you to be baptized if you've never followed in believer's baptism. His message is simple. It's repent and be baptized. And we're, when we are walking step by step with God's spirit, those two things are simple to do. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much for your word and for this message. And God, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that in a miraculous, dynamic, and powerful way was poured out into those Christ followers in the first century. They're in Jerusalem. Oh, we would have loved to have seen it. It would have been remarkable. But God, that same power resides inside of each one of us who are in here today who have accepted you as our Savior. And God, I pray as you help us, as you bring comfort, as you bring, God, comfort and peace, as you bring conviction, as you challenge us, as you lead us into truth, God, I pray that you would also help us to be able to follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray for those who are in here today, all of us who have something that we need to repent from. And just in the quietness of this room, just for this next moment, I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you say, yeah, man, I've got something I need to repent from. I've got something I need to admit to God right now. Go ahead and just do that in your own words. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or even tell me about it. I don't care. It's between you and God. But right now, just in the quietness of this room, for the next moment, just admit that and make the decision. You're going to leave that behind. And for those of you who have never been baptized, may make the decision to declare to the world what we're going to sing here in a few minutes. Declare to the world what you believe. Just have a moment of silence for these next few moments as you do those things with just pray for each one of us who are gathered here today. God, I pray that we would walk step and step with you. God, that we would fall right behind your spirit who leads us and guides us. God, because we don't have to ask what now. We've got what now inside of us. May we be obedient and may we be followers who follow closely to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.